0: man that was awesome thank you so much ladies and gentlemen I don't have my uh, pulpit mic on so we'll be using this one or pull or whatever that thing is called lapel if you have your Bible or something that opens up the Bible open it up to John chapter 20 John chapter 20 we are almost done with the gospel of John praise the Lord hallelujah it's been almost a year and a half I think we've been going through the gospel of John and and uh, I don't quit, so in case you didn't realize that, that's why I haven't strayed from it. I just, once I decide I'm going to do something, I stick with it. Tonight, John chapter 20, we're we'll going to be looking at the resurrection story. And I know this is often reserved for Easter time. Rarely do we sing those resurrection hymns. That's one of the reasons I requested that one. And uh, I was hoping nobody else would raise their hands because I was just going to keep on requesting resurrection hymns. But uh, that's Okay. Uh, We just, we know, I don't know what it is. We don't sing those hymns until it comes Easter time. We don't look at these passages in God's Word until springtime rolls around and our minds go to Easter Sunday. But tonight we're going to consider these passages and their importance all the year long. God's Word about His resurrection. For the resurrection, it doesn't just simply impact our calendar dates in the springtime, it doesn't impact just. You know, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. That's not what these resurrection passages are for. They impact our very lives. The resurrection is such an important doctrine of God's word. We would have absolutely no hope if it were not for the resurrection passages that that pour out the truth of what happened when Jesus busted out of that grave. Actually, he didn't really bust out of the grave. We like to say that to make it a little more powerful, but we're going to talk about that here in just a second. And, and I want to I just kind of address some things that perhaps you've never really thought about or, or maybe looked at. Maybe you have. I don't know. But uh, I know these are such familiar passages. I wanted to just kind of hit on a few things that perhaps we've never hit on on an Easter Sunday when we've read these passages. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 18 tonight. And before I forget, I want to say what a blessing it is to have Clark Mahoney here tonight. We are thankful. By the way, man, he is the chief amenner. This guy will amen everything you do. And so I'm glad he's here. And uh, not just for that, Clark, but uh, you are an encouragement to me every time I see your face. You just you, you, you brighten my soul, my spirit. And so glad that you are here this evening. Uh, did, did Brother Jimmy Neal send you to check up on me from the association? Are you a secret agent of the association? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, let's read our scripture. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple Who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as they yet did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead, then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Verse 14, Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you, Lord, we get to look at your resurrection, and it's not even Easter yet. Father, I thank you for its inspiration, God. your word's inspiration. We thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. And Father, I pray we just have a good time looking at this scripture tonight. We learn that you change us from the inside out, exactly how your Holy Spirit needs us to change in light of who you are and your truthfulness of your word. Thank you, Lord, and it's your name we pray this. Amen. So I, I just, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm titling this sermon, Significant Issues Surrounding the Resurrection, and I want to just pull out three significant issues, mainly because I need to limit this to about 30 minutes, uh, and, 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 and uh, I know our, our rear ends can't handle much more than that, so try to be respectful of that. So I just want to look at three significant issues. The first one is just the confusion of his followers, the confusion of Jesus' followers. Of course, the other Gospels tell us it was not just Mary Magdalene that showed up to the tomb, that there was a group of women that went that day. They went to put spices and fragrances on the, on the body of Jesus. This was a very common practice in, in this time. And uh, in, 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 in the Gospel of Mark tells us that, in fact, as the ladies were traveling towards the tomb, they made this comment, who will roll the stone away for us? We're told here, though, that it's just Mary Magdalene. And we're told here she runs back to tell the disciples, specifically this news, that the the body of Jesus has gone away, that it's not there. Of course, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus appears to some of the other ladies uh, before this. But here in in the Gospel of John, we're told it's Mary Magdalene who uh, runs back and tells the disciples. And of course, they take off running towards the tomb. We shouldn't lose the importance of this moment because we should see not only the confusion of Jesus' followers of where Jesus was, but the direct confusion regarding his teaching. Notice she sees the body of Jesus missing and she doesn't assume that he's raised to new life, but that he's gone and someone has taken his body. Is it because Jesus never taught that he would die and raise again for life, uh, to new life? Absolutely not. Many times. In fact, as we've gone through the Gospel of John, I've pointed out Jesus' teaching about his soon-coming death and that he would raise from that death on the third day. He taught many times over throughout the Gospels. He would have to die, but he would come back to life. In fact, not only should his followers have known this, but his enemies realized what he was saying. Because in Matthew chapter 27, the Pharisees go to Pontius Pilate after he is dead and they say this to Pontius Pilate. You can read this in Matthew 27 verse 62 through verse 64. The chief priests, it says, the chief priests and the Pharisees assemble before Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So, give the order that the tomb be secured until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And this last deception would be worse than the first. So, Jesus had taught it. He was pretty clear in what he was teaching. So clear, the Pharisees got it. They understood what he was teaching. And I know in verse 9, here's what it says. It says, As yet, they did not know the scripture. That Greek word is really better translated understand. They did not understand what the scriptures were saying in the Old Testament teachings. Or maybe they just did not realize what the Old Testament teachings were saying, that Christ would rise again. Of course, there's a little confusion there because verse 8, it says, Then the other disciple, that is being John, came to the tomb, went in also, he saw and believed course we're left to wonder what did he see and believe did he see that jesus wasn't there and he believed that somebody had stolen the body i am kind of leaning towards another thought that jesus or john we remember the beloved disciple the one that jesus loved is a reference to john the writer of this gospel he looked in and perhaps was beginning to percolate the idea okay he said he would destroy the temple and on the third day would rise it again. Maybe he was talking about himself. You know, sometimes our beliefs begin with a little percolation, don't they? I mean, don't we, don't we start to understand things and, and start to put them together slowly and surely? Perhaps this is what's starting to happen to John in regards to what has happened to Jesus. Again, the resurrection was something that Jesus taught to the point that the Pharisees understood it. It just shows a great divide, though, between mental assent and understanding and spiritual faith. The Pharisees understood, yet they didn't care. And they chose to reject Jesus Christ. He under, they understood and yet chose to not believe. The disciples, it says, were dismayed. They went home. They, surely they, they had to have an, an understanding, but perhaps they just did not yet believe. John tells us that Mary stood there weeping. Why was she weeping? Because she did not understand or she did not believe. They were just lost in their confusion, their inability to listen and receive all that Jesus had taught them. I must die and I will rise again. How is it that the followers of Jesus, who had been in his very presence, would be so confused and filled with disbelief of what Jesus was saying and what he promised would happen. They had heard his teachings. They saw the empty tomb, the grave clothes lying there, yet they didn't know, they didn't understand, they didn't believe. I'm wondering, because of the time and the type of people they were, if they weren't too dependent on physical evidence. What what they could see, what they could hear, what they could perceive. Our human minds are often limited by what our own senses help us understand. When the God of the Bible is often taking us beyond those senses, he's often telling us, don't trust what you see and what you hear and what you understand, but trust me instead. Jesus performed signs and wonders in order to confirm his identity But their faith was never supposed to be based upon signs and wonders. It was supposed to be based on the Word of God and Jesus' fulfillment of being God's Word. Jesus' fulfillment of God's Word. And this has not changed. 2,000 years later, our beliefs are not supposed to be based upon perceptions, based upon what we see and what we hear and what we, we necessarily understand, but based upon the Word of God and what it teaches us. We live thousands of years after all of these experiences. The grave can no longer be found that no longer held Jesus' body. The grave clothes can no longer be found. So what do we have? The written revelation of God's Word. So therefore, we must be 100% reliant upon what this says to us about our Lord and our Savior coming back from the dead. And proclaim that in faith. And that's what he wanted from his disciples at that point as well. Listen and believe the word of God that I am speaking to you. This is why we have verses like Romans ten seventeen, Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. Here's a, another a little conflicted moment in this tomb. I want to talk about significant issues. And, and really I want to address this one because Right around Easter time, this one makes the rounds about the funeral garments, about the folded handkerchief, you know, specifically verse 7 and what it says, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Now, I want you to hear me, and I don't want you to get offended. I want to address this because this is important, because every year, well-meaning Christians repost social media things about the folded napkin or they send on some email about the importance of the folded napkin and the supposition goes something like this the folded napkin is a Jewish dining custom When a dinner guest needed to be excused from the table, he would fold his napkin to show that he would return. And so because Jesus folded his napkin in the grave, this is signifying that he will one day return. And that sounds good and it gives us all kinds of warm fuzzies. But there's a problem with this theory. Actually, there's three. First, napkin is a very poor translation of this Greek word. The Greek word, pseudodrian, is most likely translated to handkerchief or face cloth. The general use of this linen was to wipe sweat from the brow of one's face or literally to blow their nose into. It was for bodily fluids, it was to catch that. In general, what this word is, is referring to any type of cloth that's smaller than a blanket or a sheet. Okay, so it's not a cloth just for a dinner table, but it referred simply to a small piece of linen. Second, the Greek term here for folded is only translated folded in some of our English translations. In fact, if you have a King James, what does it say? Wrapped together. In the New American Standard Bible, it translates rolled up. The idea here is this, this cloth wasn't neatly folded up and set at the foot of the, the rock all nice and tidy, but it really could have been like you normally do with a used piece of cloth, balled up and thrown over. It's no longer needed. Finally, Jewish culture didn't use napkins at dinner time. And and I didn't know this because I read God's word. I actually had to do a little digging in history books. In fact, I I did this this past Easter because I got kind of irritated by all these little social media posts about the folded napkin in the grave, okay? The fact is is that Jewish history shows that there was no linen used at the dinner table in, Jewish, in, in this Jewish custom. That in fact Jewish culture uh, delegated that a dinner guest be given a bowl to wipe his face and his hands with whenever he needed to. So there was no linen cloth given to them at the dinner table. But instead they were provided water to wash their hands and face after the meal. So if they were having barbecue ribs, they did not have a wet wipe. They had a bowl of water to wash their face with. Now, you may be saying, why is this important? Why am I bringing this up? It's because we often make up things to give us warm fuzzies that distract from the reality of God's word. I cannot speak for anyone else here, but I do not need a folded napkin to indicate to me about Christ's return. His word is the only thing I need. And His Word throughout the Gospel, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament says there is coming a day of His return. And that's all that I need. Right. And that's what you need to base your faith of Christ's return on too. He didn't leave us a napkin. He left us His Word. He said basically, I'll be back. Yeah. That's it. So what is the significance of the description of the tomb clothes? Why are we given this description so often or, uh, in, the, in the Gospels? And the only thing that I can suppose is the comparison to Jesus' resurrection to Lazarus' resurrection. Do you remember when Lazarus was risen from the grave, what happened? He came out of the tomb, and what happened? They had to help him out of his grave clothes. Jesus didn't need help out of his grave clothes. The, The grave couldn't hold him, and his clothes couldn't hold him. He came busting out, and they do not indicate anything other than that. Jesus rose from the grave and no longer needed those grave clothes. A third point, are these words to Mary, a woman. And maybe you've heard this before, but how significant it is that Jesus revealed himself first to women and not to his disciples. It's it's special, it's important that this next scene was to and through a woman. I'm I'm sure you've heard time and again that women were undervalued and they were treated horribly in these days. The fact that Jesus reveals himself to a woman first and relies on her testimony speaks volumes of their call to ministry. You see, he wasn't relying on the societal status of his messenger. He was relying on the message. He was relying on himself as the messenger, not on the societal status. You see, he could have chose Billy Graham to go deliver the message, right? He could have chose Pontius Pilate to go deliver the message. Boy, that would have made a big, strong influence as Pontius Pilate, but he chose a woman looked down upon. Can't you relate to that? I don't know about you, but when I think about he chooses me to deliver his message, He chooses me to deliver the message of his resurrection. He doesn't rely on my favor. He doesn't rely on my societal status. He doesn't rely on who I am. But instead, he wants me to rely on him and his message. He says a couple of things to her, though, that pique my thoughts. He says, do not cling to me. She's wrapping herself around his feet. She's weeping, and she doesn't want to let go. Mary's desire is perhaps the same desire we would all have, Jesus had been missing for a moment, and there he is before her again, and she doesn't want to let go. Don't ever leave me again, perhaps, is the, the mindset here. I, I've, I've lost you once, Lord. I'm not going to lose you again. It, it, it reminds me of Peter. We're talking a lot about Peter here recently because we've been looking at 1 Peter on Sunday morning. When Peter was on the mountaintop with, the other disciple, with a couple of the other disciples and with Jesus and uh, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, uh, Elijah and Moses show up. And it's called the mountain of transfiguration because Jesus shows his glory. What does Peter want to do? He says, can we build a house and just hang up here? I mean, that's, isn't that our mindset? When God reveals himself to us, we want to just hang out in that moment. We don't want to let go of it. We want to build a tabernacle and just rely and, 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 and lean into that peace and that comfort forever and ever and ever. If, if we could all go live in a monastery and spend all of our days reading scripture and praying and, and relaxing in the solitude of God, I think we would we would find, you know, a happiness that passes all understanding, but that's not what God calls us to. And that's not what Jesus is calling Mary here to. He's basically saying, Mary, I've got work to do. I, I've not yet ascended to my Father. You can't hang on to me. I've still got something I do, I've got to do. And By the way, Mary, you do too. I know you want to just hang on to me. I know you want to just hang out with me. But Mary, you've got work to do. And so do we. Jesus has work for all all of us to do. This was not goodbye, but instead it was a commissioning. And we need to hear that commissioning for us as well. To, To Mary, the commissioning was this. Go to my brethren. And I find that word refreshing and Beautiful. Jesus had referred to the disciples as friends, as followers, as servants. But this is the first time in the Gospels that Jesus refers to them as brethren. You see, the relationship had changed. Because he had tore down the veil that once separated humanity from God. We were no longer on the outside looking in. But Jesus is basically recognizing, I've brought you inside and now you're on the inside and you're one of my brethren you're one of mine you're 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 adopted as we were talking this morning you're adopted into the family of God it's it's such an important moment that we recognize that we are no longer yes we are servants yes we are followers but once we put our faith in Jesus Christ the relationship has changed, and we have been brought in through the relationship with Christ and the blood of the cross, and we've been brought into the family of God. And as as I always like to think about, that is a bond that is stronger than any other bond we can think of. The, The blood of Jesus is stronger even than the blood of your kin. It's the strongest bond you can ever experience. And to the brethren, Mary was to deliver a message that he had spoken these things to her. What was she delivering? Once again, the word of God. I don't want you to go and tell your interpretation, Mary. I want you to tell these things to them. There is nothing more important than the message of Christ resurrected. That's what he wanted her to deliver to the brethren. Christ resurrected. There is no message more important, and it is one that we are to deliver and that we should hope all would hear. Christ is alive. I hope that when we think of the resurrection, we will be reminded not of tomb clothes and not of confused followers, but of the importance of God's word. This is why, you know, this is why I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that stands upon the authority of God's word and says, we believe, even though we don't understand everything it says, we believe that this word is without error. It is without mixture of of error. It is inerrant, and we can put our faith in it. I'm so glad to be a part of a denomination that makes that same statement about God's word, that it is authoritative. You know, I was just... uh, While we were singing, I started thinking about our Baptist faith and message. I don't know how often you read through it, but I wanted to just read this statement from our Baptist faith and message. We're not a creed or creedal people, but we do have these statements on doctrines that we believe in. And here's our Baptist faith and message on the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world. The true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of of divine revelation why do we make such a big deal out of this word because we base everything everything upon this word and the moment we start questioning it the moment we have to start questioning what we believe it's hard to witness and share the word of salvation from a book that we doubt and question it's hard to say that i know jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so if i'm saying i don't know maybe i don't believe everything it says I pray that we would have a renewed trust and strength because of our faith in the one who gave us his divine revelation, his word, the Bible. May we trust in him and in his word that he gives us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this word you have given us, your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, all that it reveals to us, about us, and about you. Lord, how you love us, how you extend grace to us. Lord, how you give us chance after chance, how you bring us back when we stray, how grateful we are for your great patience for us. Father, I pray that we would have a renewed fervor to say, I will trust in your word. And Lord, see this as a directive and a conviction to spend as much time as we can reading this word, seeing it as the core, the very core of our faith in you. It's in your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to